Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Black and White Television, the review show. This is umbilically tied to episode nine, which you can hear on Buzzsprout until they boot it off. But you can catch up with the archive on the Soundstage North SoundCloud channel. And I heartily recommend that to you all. My co-host is David Newell again. Hello. And we're talking about the second episode of the second UK season of the Black and White series by ITC, The Saint, starring Roger Moore. And just to show how famous he is, it's called Starring the Saint. Dave, explain what goes on with this. Well, uh, Starring the Saint starts off with Simon arriving at London Airport, that generic flight destination, and finds himself all of a sudden the centre of media attention, a media storm, and everyone is asking, Mr Templar, Mr Templar, Mr Templar. And it appears that an independent producer is going to make a film about the saint featuring all kinds of his his adventures and antics. At that point, Simon doesn't know anything about it. So he thinks it's probably best that he he goes to this independent um, producer to, to have a word with him. And at the time, uh, another actor has been cast to play Simon Templar. But they like Simon Templar so much, they think probably it's best to have Simon Templar playing Simon Templar. But then things to begin to unravel. There's there's a ghastly murder, um, and then there's lots of intrigue, and thankfully lots of suspects as well. But with a background of the film industry, mainly just where they used to film episodes of The Saint, uh, they were able to film an episode of The Saint about starring The Saint. Yes, uh, it doesn't get quite as incestuous as that later on in the series, but uh, I do notice that there's another one coming up in about six weeks' time, if Talking Pictures uh, are adhering to the, uh, the right order, which is also set in a film studio, also shot in Elstree, This is quite a common thing with long-running detective serials, and it's usually done to save money, where you just say, we don't really need to dress the set. We've got the outside locations. Let's just film it right here in the barn. Yeah, let's do it here. The Saint isn't the only thing. I remember that the Miss Fisher mysteries um, shot something. Admittedly, it's period, so they probably had to do Mm. a bit of set dressing. I'm sure Murder, She Wrote must have done it. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah, even Brooklyn Nine-Nine did an episode um, about filming a TV cop show. Well, what it means is that actually if someone with headphones or a clapperboard steps into shot, that's fine. It's immediately Matter. explicable. The only thing I felt missing was when they were when they were walking around on the back lot at Elstree, um, there were no kind of like Roman centurions I, um, or Viking walking around. I think I spotted somebody in a cloak. Ah, um, oh, there you go. Because obviously every film studio I've ever been to, that's all you see. Yeah, well, when we were at Chinichita, obviously yeah. there were people wandering around. As Roman centurions. Do you work here? So it is a fairly standard... What's the best way to describe it? It's almost, it, obviously, because it's based on a story of Leslie Charteris's from the golden age of... Called Hollywood, yeah. ...detective fiction, called Hollywood. And once again, as we had with the fellow traveller, the original story had been set in Galveston, Texas, and they decided oh. to move it to a frozen Stevenage. What they've done <laughs> is take 
a story that is called Hollywood and decide to move it to Elstree. But that's the British Hollywood. Yes, indeed. Of course, one thing I should mention is that there was an episode of The Avengers starring Diana Rigg, which was set in a deserted film studio. I'm referring, of course, to Epic, made in 1967, made by the same director as this one. James Hill. Now, perhaps we ought to talk a bit about James Hill. Well, James Hill is a local lad, isn't he, from Bradford? Indeed, he is. So um... he, uh, he features on the Bradford Cinema Trail. Um, and outside the old Bradford Playhouse, there is a plaque with his name on it where he used to work. And if you go round Bradford, um, they still, I mean, they're, oh, they, they're looking a bit weather-worn now, but you do have um, Bradford Cinema Trail plaques. There was one um, not far from uh, when we used to have a site on Sunbridge Road with where they filmed Billy Liar. Oh, right. Uh, so a lot kind of like film history um, and historical stuff um, from there. Nowadays, obviously, the um, Bradford Cinema Trail just highlights uh, modern productions where they filmed and just had equipment nicked. Or they've actually had the, the new Cinema Trail signs nicked as well. So, yeah, James Hill, obviously very, very good, you know, going all the way back to Born Free, uh, An Elephant Called Slowly, The Belston Fox. So very good with animals. Yes. His feature films range from The High... Born Free, obviously, from 1966, to the other end of the scale four years later. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, right. Um, Is that um, an elephant called Slowly or is it City Beneath the Sea? No, No. it's called The Man from O-R-G-Y or Orgy. And the synopsis is a rich man suddenly dies and leaves his vast fortune to a madam who played a number of female stars for him. Hermione Gingold, Phyllis Diller, Marlena Dietrich and Bette Davis. I don't think they're actually in it, to be honest. She dies too (laughs) and leaves her inheritance to her top three girls, all living in different parts of the world. And the map to the fortune location can be uncovered only when their three bottoms are placed together. (gasps) Steve Victor, the agent from Orgy, is assigned to recover them from a kidnapper. I presume that either there was a gap in Mr. Hill's schedule and he had some bills to play or he was entranced by the script. I'll leave you to decide. Yeah, it's totally sold on it. He recovered from that to make 30 episodes of Wurzel Gummidge and 13 of Wurzel Gummidge Down Under. Um, But also, didn't didn't he do quite a few Avengers as well? He did two new Avengers. I didn't think it's the feature film we don't talk about. Oh, right, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, forgot. Oh, cranky. Uh, but the actual proper Avengers that you get one point each for include Epic. So he was obviously well used to Elstree and the scene doc uh, and probably quite a few of the props. But he is responsible for actually some of the best ones. Oh, wow, OK. Castle Dayath, uh, Quick, Quick, Slow Death. A Touch of Brimstone, which got banned in the United States. That's the one where Peter Wingard whips Mrs. Peel in a costume of her own devising. And um, there's also Honey for the Prince, uh, Something Nasty in the Nursery, The Forget-Me-Not, which 
it's probably worth talking about in terms of transitions at some stage because that's the transition from Mrs. Peel to Tara King. <gasps> and the last one he did was Look, Stop Me If You've Heard This One, But There Were These Two Fellas, which is all about the death of Music Hall and has Bernard Cribbins in it. Interestingly, in that one, there is a writer who keeps writing stuff, doesn't like it, screws it up and throws it into a bin. In Starring the Saint, there are two writers who do pretty much the same thing. They do. Now, um, one of one of those marvellous, and this guy gives you an idea of like uh, um, kind of like the range of TV history. Um, during Fellow Traveller, the big head of the villainous organisation that we keep being told about is called Maris. Um, and obviously, for those of us with lengthy TV knowledge, uh, I expected the wife of Dr Niles Crane to turn up. Um, but unfortunately, they don't. And in Starring the Saint, the two writers are introduced as oh, now Simon's going to go and meet Vic and Bob. And you just go, wow, this is going to be highly hilarious. This is. Who are they going to be? Are they going to be the stop boys, a man with a stick? And no, it's it's just two writers whose first names just happen to be Vic and Bob. But given the antics that they get up to, it is safe to say that they wouldn't let it lie. One of them is Jerry Stovin, who's a Canadian. He doesn't have any points, but he's done nearly everything else. Danger Man, Ghost Squad, May Gray. The other one is Paul Whitson-Jones, a stalwart who we've talked about before. He has four points and, uh, yeah, he was in pretty much everything. One of the strange things about that plot, you sort of think that the saint has been set up deliberately yes. because yeah. he's been sent a note to go to the home of this very shady movie producer only to find him shot dead. And then a police car pulls up you sort of think, oh, he's been framed. And indeed, Simon Templer works on that assumption until he goes to talk to the two writers, who it turns out had just sent in that note as a prank. And as then, a joke. A bit of a, yeah, a little bit. Uh, oh, come on, we'll have a bit of a laugh. And that the police might find him just prowling round the producer's house. And you sort of think, mm, that's a bit of a coincidence, really, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. One of the things I seem to remember people at film school saying was don't rely on coincidence because it's unsatisfactory um it is yes there's you just think oh as um, as harry hill would say what are the chances of that happening and so we kind of have to employ the maxim everything happens for a reason mm. even if it's not immediately explicable let's look at the cast ronald rad we've often talked about him how old would you say he looks in this. Oh, he looks to be at least in his late 40s or early 50s. Again, he's one of those actors who can sweat on demand. Uh, so uh, he's, he's got that ageness about him, yes. He's in his early 30s. <gasps> a tough life. <laughs> he came from the northeast, so maybe that's the <laughs> answer. There you go, yeah. But the other interesting thing about Ronald Rad and The Saint is that this won't be the last time he plays a crooked movie producer and allows them to actually spend a lot of time filming in Elstree as a cost-saving measure. Again, quite refreshing. You know, we always compare, you know, past and present. And this episode of The Saint depicting a ruthless producer who exploits some of his female stars. Thankfully, that kind of behaviour and activity is, Guy, just a thing of the past. No. And you'd never get that happening in in 
modern film and TV, which is such a relief. No, no. The, the intimacy coordinators would put a stop to it right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's certainly, well, more than hints, direct references to the casting couch and the consequences. I have to say, when we were talking about some actors previously where you point to them as saying, oh, they always play the villain, or there's that particular set of circumstances. And the moment I saw Monica Stevenson, I thought, hmm, she's worked for this fella for six months. There is a girl who has died roughly six months ago. I wonder if she's the older sister of said girl. Oh, what was that you said earlier about coincidences? And talking of elder sisters as well, who else turns up in this episode, Guy? Playing a starlet as, as such, but Jackie Collins. Yes, as somebody called April Quest, isn't it? Whose April real name West, yeah. apparently is meant to be Agnes Quist. There's a slightly disappointing thing where she asks Simon Templer how much he knows about her and he quotes mm. all her publicity material back at her and she corrects it. And she says, Now, before we haul ourselves off to the Chateau Marmont, tell me about you. All right. Which is an opportunity to fade. So we don't hear what Simon Templer no. has to say about himself. Just think of all the things that would have excited us in future episodes. Yeah. Is it all right? Where's that... his money come from? Where's his money come from? Where'd he get that car? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just saw Jackie Collins, you know, having um, a big. Uh, obviously not at the time, but a huge best-selling author um, turn up on set. It'd be like Jilly Cooper turning up in an episode of Strange Report. Um, it'd be that kind of thing where you just go, wait a minute, isn't that the author? Who are they playing in this? This Jackie Collins was obviously still working as an actor and went on to writing later on. Did you notice anything about the photography? Or what, of the uh, of the episode or, or the actual Of that actual of scene. Oh, right, no, why? No, tell me. Well, looking at her dialogue and then cutting to Simon Templer, he seemed to be a lot sharper. She seemed to be slightly soft focus. And I think that almost anything shiny seemed to glint a bit. So they certainly were trying to give her an aura, let's say. Ah, right. OK. Um, there's also quite an interesting thing where Simon Templer is driving her home and there's room for a potential bit of sauciness. He's got to obviously go off and see Ronald Rad without knowing he's going to find his corpse. And she invites him back to her place. Can't you come in for one drink? Byron wants me. So do I. Well, maybe important. Can I have a rain check? Now, is this the first use of that phrase on British television? And did anyone know what that meant? It would have been an alien concept because rain check comes from the game of baseball. Um, whereas cricket uh, over here in the in the UK, there's there's no such thing, or that certainly wasn't at the time a, a rain check. It would be just a case of, right, you've paid your five shillings and threepence for your for your Surrey and Berkshire game, um, and it's been rained off. I'm afraid, hard cheese, old chap. But is that one of those little cultural aspects of where the production team? have an idea of that this is going to be shown in the States. It could be. Um, it is written by uh, Harry W. Junkin, who's a Canadian, who may ah. also be aware of that. I think we should point out that a rain check is, what, you get your money back or you get uh, tickets for the next 
game or something if it's rained off yeah you get tickets for the for the next game so depending on the number of innings you have seen right okay so if you've seen most of the game they probably wouldn't bother yes there is a cut-off point where um like you said it would no longer be be viable um over in the uk i said if you're watching cricket game and it is rained off then there is because of the Duckworth-Lewis method then employed. Which is relatively recent. I'm not quite sure if they had the Duckworth-Lewis method back in 1962. Uh, no, they, uh, they wouldn't have done. Um, and obviously, um, the complexity of that would require not only another separate programme, but also several physicists coming in as guides to take us through it. If you were trying to use a British phrase in place of rain check, what would you use? I don't know. I, I, maybe it's like, you know, some of those French phrases and words where you can't translate it. Or maybe next time. I don't I don't know. It's No, there's not like a shorthand, you know, for that. But again, it's one of those uh, um, phrases maybe that we've, we've just absorbed now, but we don't know what its origins are. Know that, oh, when it means I'm, I'm not going to go through with this now, or it's going to be, you know, going to do something at a later date but you don't know the, the sort of reason and the origin behind it. Well, people are fully appraised now, thanks to you, Dave. Of course they are, yeah. I was also trying to work out whether we'd actually seen the driveway to the producer's house before and whether we might have seen it in from another angle and the man who was lucky. That was quite long, and, and of course this was in the dark, which allowed the policeman who turns up to totally miss Simon Templer and the secretary hiding in the bushes. And so when the police constable, played by Brian Marshall, someone who was yes, going to... Yes, Brian Marshall, yeah, who... who um, TV's very own buccaneer, um, when he used to, to fly some, I know, some, like, knackered Dakota DC-3, delivering tractor parts and stuff like that, but um, went on to, to have a very successful career down under. Yes, yes. Stuff that he did in Britain, though, kind of became a much more well-known face in the 70s. So Rooms, which I think can be seen on Talking on Pictures Talking TV. Pictures. Yeah. yeah. Warship, I think about 13 episodes of that. Long Good Friday. Yeah. Um, and Spindo. And I'm trying to remember much about Spindo. We might uh, come back to that. Who else uh, have we not referred to? Alfred Burke. big one that the, the 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 big one that we've we've not referred to because I know you tipped me off about uh, um, causing some confusion because in this episode there is a um, cop investigating the case our old friend Chief Inspector Teal but in this case um, it's played by um, the British actor Wensley Pithy um, now Wensley Pithy some of you may remember um, in the late seventies he was the go-to guy to play Churchill. Um, this was during the time when Robert Hardy had actually begun staging industrial action and was holding out for more money to play Churchill again. Um, and at the time, Wensley Pithy stepped in, but still was able to play the part of Churchill in the Robert Duvall successful TV series, Ike, um, amongst many others, as well as Edward and Mrs. Simpson. But what the, uh, the weird thing is, also in this episode, is Ivor Dean, who would then actually be Chief Inspector Teal. Because uh, I suppose it was just like a settling-in period of having 
you know, uh, as we mentioned, um, you know, that trope of a, a friend in the police department with whom you could always cross swords. Um, they would always be wrong-headed. They would always think you guilty of murder. And in the end, you prove them wrong. Very true. Winsley Pithy is the second actor to play uh, Inspector Claude Eustace Teal. The first one was Campbell Singer. And then, of course, Ivor Dean. I presume once producers had actually looked at him, uh, and maybe took him to one side and said, do you want to be available to play Claude Eustace Teal? He would have jumped while. at that because I think he's it's another 23 episodes he appears in. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, also in it is Alex Davion, who plays, um, I suppose, the chief suspect um, for a while because he's the actor who was going to play the saint until the real saint turns up. Um, Alex Davion, some of you may remember from um, Gideon's Way. He was kind of like John Reg Gregson's sidekick. Um, he was also in, as we mentioned the other week, Plague of the Zombies. Um, so he had that ability to cross cross the paths from um, hero to villain. Um, but my favourite role of his was in Valley of the Dolls where he plays the marvellously named Ted Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> Only in a movie would you have a character called Ted Casablanca. You, it wouldn't happen anywhere else. No, no. I should point out that he has one Avengers point in a Kathy Gale episode. And he did work in America a fair bit. He was born in France, but you wouldn't know it from his performances. Not, not a hint of a, of French, a French accent. accent no. Monica Stevenson, this and her one Avengers point were her last screen credits, uh, though she had been in... Robin Hood and Sword of Freedom. I don't know what she did after this. And she plays the older sister who had been the secretary, turns out, had pulled the trigger. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and Simon Templer persuades her to do the decent thing and dial 999 and ask to speak to Inspector Teal. Ivor Dean, as we've said, he's got three points and it's his first outing in The Saint but not in the role he would make his own. Now, John Gayford, who's got one point, and appeared in the Avengers forerunner, Police Surgeon. He's the barman. He um, is one of those very irritating barman characters um, because he's able to give very precise evidence. So when um, the cops come in asking him questions, do you remember what time the note was handed over? Why, yes. And when did they leave? 10.32, sir. Not very precise. Well, that's because of the note. Note? What note? A note came from Mr. Templer, and I, well, I looked at the clock. What was in it, you know? Well, sir, I did glance at it. Ah, uh, so, uh, yeah, all the information he gives, he provides, drops the saint in it a little bit, which means that he has to do double duty to try and protect his innocence. That's right. He, he conspires with Jackie Collins to cook up a cock and bull story to give him time to clear his head and think. And why he just wasn't banged up straight away by Inspector Teal, I'm not sure. Arrest me and the killer will get away. Claude, give me 24 hours and I'll hand you the murderer on a plate. You can have until midnight. Yeah, I must admit, admit you seem to have a certain amount of latitude with the police uh, to say, right, um, I've not done this, but if you give me between 24 and 48 hours, I'll have you slapping the cup on the on the real murderer and you're saying oh yeah yeah he's probably right yeah we'll let him do that yeah we've got other stuff to do that's a bit very cavalier attitude yeah to crime fighting privatize it farm it out to uh... yeah um get a higher cleanup rate be able to ensure that if it does go wrong 
someone else is going to take the blame. So, yeah, we're on easy street with this one. Now, I can't remember who John Martin played, but I did look him up and uh, a number of shows in the 60s. I'm just wondering whether this might have been due to uh, supplying his voice for dubbing, because including the Aeronauts, which was a bit like an early French Top Gun. Uh, can anyone yeah, sing the theme a, tune? Uh, or, or I can't. I, was, um, I think it was like a load of like mirages taking off from like a French French airfield, and they uh, as um, uh, most weekly adventures, they get up to some antics. I think it probably got a fair bit of rotation in the early seventies. Yeah, during the summer, it used to get played at tea time and there were an awful lot of foreign imports generally dubbed like the flashing blade the singing ringing tree oh yeah and the singing ringing tree obviously wasn't a series it was actually a feature film that was broken up went to a friend's house uh, a few years ago and he had a copy of the singing ringing tree it's in color Who knew? oh yes yeah singing ringing tree yeah and uh, like so much stuff i find myself looking at it and think yeah, what? When did that become a thing? Well, in our house, it became a thing in 1974. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, there you go. But obviously, uh, for other people, it impinged on their consciousness a lot sooner. So that's Starring the Saint. Let me just check. What's the next one that should be scheduled? Hey, but um, just looking on ahead, Judith, what a big-name cast actor they've got in there. Academy Award winning. Julie Christie? I hadn't spotted that, I, I must admit. So is this before or after Billy Liar? After Billy Liar. Billy Liar was one of her first films. Um, well, I think her first film might have been um, with Stanley Baxter, James Robertson Justice, um, and uh, Leslie Phillips, The Fast Lady. Billy Liar, which is swinging a white, white plastic handbag around Bradford City Centre. So this would have been a, certainly about the same time. One thing you can say about British actors is that they weren't uh, snooty about uh, f flipping between feature films and TV. They were troopers. Yeah, hey, just follow the money. So let me just have a look. Of course, A for Andromeda was the thing that she probably became best known for. Um, she didn't appear in the sequel. That was uh, Susan Hampshire. Though she does get an uncredited appearance in the Andromeda breakthrough. So... Maybe there were two Andromedas. Then she's in an uh, Fast Lady, ITV Player of the Week, Billy Liar, uh, The Saint. Blimey, then she's in Darling, Dr. Shivago. Yep, Yep, uh, Fahrenheit 451, Far From the Madding Crowd. Yeah, I mean, you know, Don't Look Now, Shampoo, Nashville, Demon Seed, I'm not so sure about. Um, Heaven Can mm. Wait suitably plays a goddess in Troy. Absolutely, yeah. Memoirs of a Survivor as, as well. She did Harry Potter. She's in some of the Harry Potter films. The Prisoner of Azkaban. The Company You Keep, which was on the other night. Um, Robert Redford thriller. Uh, um, still going strong. She's 82 and another one of those uh, British acting dynasty who was born in British India. Right, so Julie Christie is somebody to look forward to in Judith, which ought to be the next scheduled episode of The Saint, which is appearing on Talking Pictures Television on Sunday. That's for everyone who's bored with Glastonbury. I may not be able to see it live this week um, because, fingers crossed, I've got tickets for the test. 
which is currently unspooling at um, Headingley. Although the way it's going at the moment, I may not see much action. Yes. This has been a Soundstage North production. I'm Guy Morgan. My co-host and cricket fan is David Newell. Uh, How's that? That's the sort of thing to have instead of a wave. Yes. Yeah. How's that? We'll be back. <laughs>